0: Yes, Neil. Maybe you could go over some of the techniques to if you find your mind wandering from the breath different ways of different things about the breath you could think about to try to keep your mind down the breath more. Okay, so the question is uh, uh, or the request I should say was to go over the different things we can do to help Sustain the attention on the breath. So when you're observing the sensations of the breath, the uh, at first it's obvious that there's an in breath or an out breath. But what you do is look to uh, become increasingly aware of more details of the of, of the cycle of these sensations as they take place, and so to begin with, then you take this in-breath and out-breath and you try to notice uh, as closely as you can, as precisely as you can. When does the in-breath begin and when does it end? When does the out-breath begin and when does it end? And with your goal being to see uh, all four of these points with equal clarity. And uh, for most, most of us, I will find that the beginning of the in-breath is usually the clearest and easiest to identify. And the beginning of the out-breath is uh, the next most clear. The end of the in-breath and the end of the out-breath are somewhat more difficult to decide exactly when they're happening. So, you. Uh, set yourself the task of trying to identify those as clearly as possible. Now in the process of this you inevitably become aware that there is a pause between the in and out breath and another pause between the out and the in breath. And of course the end of the in breath is the beginning of that first pause. And the end of the out breath is the beginning of the second pause. So you're sitting there practicing and uh, as a part of these, of clearly identifying these four points in the breath cycle, then these two causes begin to emerge with uh, more and more clarity. Uh, Then, once, once that's happened and it begins to be clearer and you, in order to help you remain focused, to give your mind more to do, more of more of a challenge to remain engaged. Uh, then you can begin to examine the different uh, qualities of the sensations that make up the in breath and the out breath. So uh, you begin to observe what is happening between the beginning and the ending of the in breath, and some certain things will stand out that uh, the uh, the reason that the beginning of the in-breath is so clear is that there is a sort of a sensation of impact as the, first, as the air begins to hit the skin and, and to maybe hit those uh, delicate hairs in your nose that uh, are affected by the movement of the air. But there is also a sensation of coolness because typically the air coming into your nose is cooler than the temperature of, of your skin. Uh, a sensation of movement, and so on and so forth. Likewise, with the out breath, it has its own unique qualities which you can begin to examine and identify. That uh, it's just the opposite. The air coming from deep within your body tends to be warmer than than the skin in your nostrils, which is near the uh, near the outside. Uh, you'll notice that the out breath is uh, it tends to be longer and slower, but the flow isn't always uniform. There's maybe increase and decrease in the amount of pressure or the sense of movement or so and so. So these are other things that you can use to help remain engaged and focused. As time goes by and as you, you become more skilled at this and the power of your mindful awareness becomes stronger, then I... You, you may look for further challenges to keep you fully engaged you know, before it becomes fully, completely habitual. Now, one of the things that you'll notice is that in, in staying right on top of these sensations as they're taking place, your, your focus is in a very short span of time. And you don't have much or what we might call short-term memory. So you can expand your awareness so that, is this is this in-breath longer or shorter than the last one? And is this out-breath longer or shorter? Uh, is the pause between the in- and out-breath longer or shorter than the one between the out- and the in-breath? And how do these change over time? So uh, these are all additional things that you can use to engage and monitor your attention. So this is is all different degrees of one basic approach to sustaining the attention. This is sustaining the attention through challenging your mind and remaining fully engaged because you're trying to carry out a kind of cognitive perceptual task. There is a another uh, thing uh, there is another approach to helping to sustain your attention on the breath and this this one is equally important the The first one was developing the power of your uh, mindful awareness because it was forcing the mind to become aware of finer and finer details and to also be aware of changes that are taking place over time. So this made your mindful awareness much stronger. But this mindful awareness was entirely focused on a sense object, a series of sensations that were being produced. Now, the other approach to helping keep your attention on the breath is the cultivation of introspective mindful awareness. This is where you are examining the mind itself, as this process is taking place. So, in the beginning, you might find this a bit challenging to do, but as your practice develops, and hopefully you're all to a point now where you can start doing this, But what this involves initially is, every now and then, you, you direct your attention away from just the sensations of the breath to examine the state of your mind to examine the degree of distractedness that may or may not be present, to examine the, the degree of, of uh, dullness that may or may not be present. But as you do this, as I say, initially it's you're switching from one task to another. But if you move towards that place where you're doing both at once, you're watching the sensations of the breath, and you're also watching the mind at the same time. So your, your mindful awareness is both introspective and object-oriented at the same time. Now this, this helps enormously with staying aware because now if there is some thought that has come up and it's attracting, it is it is attractive to the mind, you become aware of, the, of, the, of this attraction. You become aware of the tendency of the mind to be drawn towards this thought or towards a sound or towards a bodily sensation. And because you are immediately aware of that, then you know to, to bring it back. Or you become aware that the perception of of the sensations is becoming less clear, and you realize the mind is beginning to develop a very, very subtle state of dullness. And so then you brighten up a clarify more fully the sensations that you're observing. So this this is the other, the actually more powerful and in the long term more important way of uh, sustaining your attention. When you get to the fourth stage where your mind where you no longer forget the meditation object and your mind goes wandering, but you still very often have other uh, thoughts or awarenesses that displace the awareness of the sensations of the breath. It is this introspective awareness that is most important. This is what makes you realize uh, before, before a subtle distraction has become a gross distraction, this is what makes you realize that that process is beginning to happen and allows you to very quickly bring the attention back. Likewise, in dealing with dullness it allows you to identify dullness before it becomes so strong that uh, it may cause you to start feeling really drowsy and really sluggish. Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay, good. Clear? And sometimes when you're physically tired or you haven't had enough sleep, the body just wants to go to dullness. Yes. Automatically it's like for me it's an imperative in the last class. then I mean, the and myself in I mess up. One, of the, one of the things that we do in in this overall process is that we train our mind not to slip into dullness. Uh, dullness is habitual and it's uh, it's attractive and it's a nice alternative when the mind gets bored with all of this. But Uh, the same as with the uh, tendency of the mind to wander we can train the mind not to do that so it is always most important in your practice to uh, counteract dullness whenever it is present, to overcome it and uh, if you are consistent and if you are persistent whenever dullness develops then you'll reach that point where it very rarely Arises and it very rarely presents a problem, and when it does, it's usually fairly easy to to deal with. But it does require that you uh, that you always, whenever dullness arises, that you make overcoming dullness the focus of your practice until you've succeeded. And uh, the the basic procedure for dealing with dullness is to apply an invigorating antidote. An antidote that invigorates the mind. And you always want to apply an antidote that is strong enough to overcome the degree of dullness that's present. How you determine that is if you apply that antidote and you feel yourself very alert. And that alertness lasts for at least several minutes, maybe five minutes at at the least. So, if that happens then you know that that antidote was appropriately matched to the degree of dullness that you were experiencing. And if the dullness returns after five or ten minutes then, and, and you recognize it quickly enough, then a similar antidote will probably bring you out of it. And then that's what you do. And it doesn't matter if that's your whole practice. It doesn't matter if you spend a whole afternoon and that's all you do is, is make yourself alert once more, meditate for five minutes, recognize dullness, make yourself alert once more, meditate for five minutes, recognize dullness. You know, it doesn't matter if that's what... That's wonderful, because the time put in doing that is going to pay off, because in the end, you are not going to have to deal... You're rarely going to have to deal with dullness as a problem anymore. Except maybe when you are very tired. Right? When you haven't, really haven't had enough sleep, or you're physically exhausted, or been under a lot of stress, it will show up again. But even at those times, you'll find it is more easy, more e- e- easily uh, dealt with. Now, what happens is that you, you may go all afternoon doing this, and that's fine, but more likely is what's going to happen is that if you're using a strong enough antidote for the dullness you're experiencing, this will repeat a few times and then suddenly you're going to find yourself wide awake, and you're going to stay wide awake for the rest of the set. And that's kind of what you're, you're looking for—that you know, uh, you, you you keep making the correction, you make the correction, and finally the mind stops sinking into into dullness. And this will—you'll experience this happening, and then if you continue to practice skillfully, then. Uh, this will happen more quickly, and when I say that that you get to that place where you rarely have dullness, and when you do, you can deal with it quickly, that's the experience you'll have: is that maybe you are quite tired, maybe you will have some dullness. So you know you'll you'll deal with it two or three times, and then you'll get into that bright, alert place, and, and you'll be okay with it from that on. The When I say that you have the skill and you've dealt with it appropriately, that involves two things. That involves becoming very good at recognizing the presence of dullness. And in the beginning, you may not be so good at that. So you may not realize you have dullness until you're already starting to fall asleep. So this is the one one aspect of the skill that you develop. Is observing your mind and recognizing dullness earlier and earlier when before it has acquired a lot of strength, and that just comes from practice. And when when uh, and when I t- spoke earlier about introspective awareness, examining your mind to see if dullness is present, it's what you're doing is you're kind of asking yourself the question is. Is, my, is, is the vividness with which I'm able to perceive the sensations of the breath as good as it normally is or has it lost some of that vividness and sharpness and clarity? And, and then you realize that there's some dullness there. The second skill is, of course, this, this deciding how strong of an antidote to the dullness that you need. If the dullness is very, very subtle, if you've noticed it very early, when it's just you you just lost the edge that you had in your uh, in your awareness, then it's enough to just take a moment, expand your awareness to your whole body, uh, listen to the sounds that are taking place, be present in your larger environment for a few minutes, and then refocus, and that's enough to invigorate you. Uh, if the dullness is a little bit stronger than that, but still <clears throat> still quite subtle, it can be enough to just simply open your eyes and meditate with your eyes open. And that will be enough to, uh, to uh, uh, invigorate the mind. <coughs> when it is stronger than that, you'll need to do something to, uh, like the method of taking several deep breaths and letting them out slowly, or tensing the muscles and releasing them. And when you do that, you, you'll feel yourself wake up. You'll feel yourself become alert. But what's important is how long that alertness lasts for. You know, here I am. I'm okay. I, I'm awake. And then within a few seconds, you feel yourself sinking again. Then that wasn't enough. You need something stronger. Um, the, the next strongest thing that you can do is to stand up. And so. Uh, if you're doing this in the group, stand up very, very quietly. But stand up, meditate for a little while standing up. And one thing's for sure, you won't fall asleep standing up. Uh, and meditating standing up is not nearly as comfortable as sitting down. So as a matter of fact, you probably won't have any dullness at all. So do that for a little while and then sit down and see, see how it goes. See if, see if you're fully awake if you have this problem of dullness when you're meditating at home or under circumstances where you're not going to disturb somebody else, you might uh, do walking meditation when you know, if you're feeling really, really sleepy, get up and do walking meditation for a little while. Or even in the most extreme case, go and splash some cold water in your face and then do some walking meditation. And then meditate standing up for a few minutes, and then meditate sitting down and see see how you are. But you see the idea is do is necessary to bring yourself fully out of that state of dullness. At least for a period of several minutes. Yes? And you said you would also meditate sitting down in a chair? Yes. You said that it's not always necessary to be pressed. Yeah, nothing, absolutely, nothing at all wrong with meditating sitting on a chair. You can meditate lying down, standing up, sitting, walking, and in terms of sitting, you can sit in Full lotus, half lotus, uh, cross-legged, uh, Burmese style with one leg in front of each other. You can meditate sitting on a bench, meditate sitting on a chair, uh, meditate sitting on a couch. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> There's nothing magic about sitting on the on the floor, on a cushion, cross-legged. It does have advantages, but not no magic. Yes. Okay. Uh, last night, the last bell ring. It scared me. I was shocked. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure uh, I'm very concentrated on the sensation of my leg. Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, uh, I think it's not perfect. How come I cannot be scared next time? This one, or I, I know I'm pretty sure I'm concentrated but maybe I have a... little, you to dullness? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, you, you might have. Now, it is a sign of dullness if you find yourself being startled, if you jerk, when there's some kind of a sound. You know, somebody coughs or closes the door or something, and you jerk like that. That is, is a sign of dullness. But it doesn't always mean that dullness is there. If the bell rings and you're startled. It can also happen if you are very, very focused. So, so um, you know, if you say that I was focused on the pain in my leg, you probably weren't in a state of dullness. I wouldn't think it's—it's it's kind of hard to to focus on pain and be in dullness at the same time. So you probably weren't. Uh, and it was more likely that, that your being startled by the bill was due to the fact that you were just very focused. Yeah, but I think it's not perfect. Well, yeah. and it may be. And if you have the sense that there was some dullness, then there very well might have been some dullness there. Perfect. So is there any way I can do or practice and next time I will not you know, start by, by the room or, or outside the sun, is there any way I should do practice? question is, is there some way to practice so that there's not dullness? To not be scared by the sound. To not be disturbed by the sound. Well. If you, uh, if you are not so focused, if you're, if you're, if you're not so focused, you're less likely to be startled, okay? So, for example, you have some idea that, well, probably the bell is going to ring sometime soon. And just knowing that will help you to keep from. you know, if you totally forget about the bell, then you feel startled because you're very focused. Okay. And by the way, I feel this time the bell ring is more louder than before. Louder than before? <laughs> yes, yeah, you too. I, no, I said it to louder. Uh, is it too loud? I'll say <laughs> it to. Oh, when I rang the bell. Yeah. Oh, you're not talking about this one. Yeah, really oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I was excited. I get to go to bed. <laughs> I'll try not to ring it too loud. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'll try not to ring it too loud next time. <laughs> maybe if you could announce how long the session is gonna be before, before okay. it starts. Well I, I can let you know, but um there's certain advantages to not knowing too. Yeah, okay. That's fine. <laughs> 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 True. It's interesting how the body conditions itself so fast um, to like what is the bell going the ring? Is. My body is already like kind of knows ten minutes before it's to ring, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I'm always like these are almost like okay, I'm ready. To stop. Yeah. you know, my body's like ready yeah. to... it's very interesting. We have this kind of internal clock, you know. And before I had this timer. I used to just have a watch, and then I would ring the bell when the time for the sit was over, and I'd done it so much that you know uh, it's like I wouldn't even think about, and then the thought would come into my mind: better check what time it is And I'd look, and it would be like always, maybe two, three minutes just before it. So we have an amazing internal clock. Right? I know, um The advantage for sitting cross-legged. The advantage, if, uh, if it's comfortable for you in terms of your hips and your knees, sitting cross-legged puts less stress on on other parts of the body. And if you get balanced, you can sit a long time with less discomfort. Um, it may seem like sitting in a chair would be uh, easier for everybody than sitting cross-legged, but that's not actually true. Sitting in a chair is easier than sitting cross-legged for some people, but for most people, you can sit longer, you can sit three, four hours cross-legged, and if you sit in a chair, you can't sit as long. I can't sit in a chair for, I can sit in a chair for maybe two hours and then, uh, then my back really becomes sore. So there's nothing special about it. It's just everybody's a little bit different, and most people can sit a very long time cross-legged. about full lotus. It seems like it's a big deal to, to what, sit. What's but that? we not sitting in full lotus. We're not sitting full lotus. It seems like it seems like uh, so many accomplished <laughs> people. Well, if you can, if you can sit in full lotus, which you know, unless you start doing yoga when you're fairly young and practicing sitting in a full lotus, uh, it's, it's unlikely you're going to be. Most people, they haven't done that, can't sit in full lotus by the time they're 25 or 30. Or, or you, have, you probably have to have skin, very skinny legs. And probably have to have very skinny legs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the advantage of a full lotus is, is that it locks your body. And it actually creates this curve, when you're in the full lotus, it creates just the right curvature of your spine. And so that's why it's the most stable of all positions. But there's very few people that can really sit in full lotus. So. But it doesn't matter. You could hang from your ankles from a branch of a tree and meditate, you know, if that was most comfortable. And it wouldn't make any difference to the meditation. The position you're in affects your body, not your mind. But the state your body is in that affects your mind. So when I sit, I have to uh, every every so often. And you mention this at three-day camp. Kind of do this: rearch my back. Yes, there is there is a natural tendency as you become concentrated yeah. for your body to move forward you become aware of it and you just straighten it up. By the way, with regard to dullness, another thing that is very helpful whenever you are experiencing dullness, you might find that your neck is bending and your head is going forward. And if you straight if you just straighten your head up, you know, that will help to make you more alert. Can you just have to move. What's <laughs> Well, okay. I'll have to change it. Okay. You say, <laughs> it can move, except for straightening up, if you find that you're starting to slump forward, <laughs> or if you find you're falling over to one side, you can move. <laughs> yeah. but. So it's need okay to get out of the grip. Like my, the, the rest of my body is fine, but I see, like, he's starting, yeah. I see myself going to move like this, and then I stay there for a long time I'm because set up to move. Well, <laughs> 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 now one thing about these things is what you'll find. When you become very concentrated, your perception of your body becomes distorted. Okay, so you'll be sitting there and you'll feel like you're like this, you know, isn't that? and so you'll say, "Oh, I better do something." And then you go and straighten yourself up, and you find, "Oh, I was already straight. There, there's really no place to go." So it was just this illusion that you were falling over. Yeah, I'm experiencing it today. Yeah, and so when that when you recognize that that's happening. Uh, it's, it's actually unusual for a person to fall over to one side or another. If you start out sitting straight, if your arms are even, your shoulders are even, your hands are even, you're probably not going to move, you're, you're probably really not going to slump to one side or another. But as you become very focused and concentrated, there is a tendency that you'll start gradually moving forward. You know, and not long ways, but at some point, after you've been sitting for 45 minutes, you might find that you're kind of like this, and, and you definitely need to straighten up again. Yeah. My neck is sore because my head's like hanging there. <laughs> well, and if you if you find that if you find that that's happening to a great degree and, and uh, it's making your neck sore, just every now and then check your body to to make sure whether well, you need to. You know, it's uh, it, it's not a problem to take uh, half of a second away from your meditation. You can time it to do it between the end of one out breath and the beginning of the next in breath. Check in say, OK, yep. Straighten up. On with the breathing. Is it um, like sometimes I feel like to make my neck not hurt, I have to kind of like look like up a little bit. But then I open my eyes and it, I'm not looking as up as I thought I was. But yeah. Like is looking <laughs> is looking up slightly a problem? No. Uh, it, it, looking up is a problem if it puts your head in a position that makes your neck sore and uncomfortable. Oh, okay. But if your head is balanced on or your not. spine, then that's fine. But it's it's a big head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in this Buddha image here, you'll see that his his head is a bit for his head is straight, but it's a bit forward. And that's that's a position that a lot of people, if you if you look around and people are sitting meditation, they will start out like this, and they'll slump forward, but they, they but they'll tilt their head back. And it's just the body keeping itself in balance. If you do slump forward a little bit, if your head was still, if you kept your head straight and you just slump forward like that, then that does create a stress on your neck, like you're finding, and. If you, you correct for it without leaning back and you just straighten your head up, well, then you're in this position. Uh, it, none of this matters. It's just, you know, be stable and comfortable. And if you find that some shift has happened, make a correction for it. At the temple they tell us to tuck our chin in. Like, I'm not quite sure what that means, but... Yeah, it, you know, it means like to straighten or... up your head. and well, you know, like I say, you, you could train yourself to meditate in all kinds of positions. And some people might believe that they're very important. But personally, I, I think that uh, most of these little things are, are secondary to what we're trying to do. you know. And of course, some things obviously work better than others, but we're all not exactly the same so you find what works best for you. you know. And if, you, if you can sit for three hours and if you become enlightened and somebody comes along and says, you're no good because you're sitting wrong, you say, <laughs> what do you say to them? <laughs> you say, by gosh, I guess, you know, I <laughs> you're doing it wrong all this time. Oh, well. But it takes a long time. It takes a a certain amount of sitting for your body to learn just the right amount of tension and keep you in a good position like anything else. I think we should probably have lunch. So thank you and uh, have a good afternoon practice.